If you will, open your Bible to Colossians, the first chapter, and we're going to talk today, and I won't tell you the exact scripture yet, because we want you to look in the book, though, and not look beforehand. Amen. And, uh, but today I'm going to talk about something uh, that really came to me strong this week called Still a Mystery, Mankind's Freedom. You know, that, that, you know, to some Christians is a mystery. Uh, man's fulfillment, it, it is a mystery to many people in the world. Uh, you know, the, there was an article this week about gun sales going up, and they say, is, is that going to be the cause of suicide? No. No, it's not going to be. And people have, uh, have misunderstandings, mysteries to them that they don't know. And uh, life can be a mystery to people. Why was I born? You know, there are a lot of people who we work around, who we interact around, who wonder why they were born. Before I gave my life to the Lord or committed my life to Him, I wondered that very thing. Why am I alive? Is there more to just existing and these things are all a mystery to people. Is there anything more to who I am? And, or can I be more? Can life be more? And who is God? Is there a God? All these things are a mystery to people. And deep down, people know there is a God, but there, it's a mystery many times to who He is. And, and how do I connect with Him? And... Is there freedom, or do I just go on like this forever? But do you know when people get saved, some of the mystery is answered. But for some people, they live their life, and there are still mysteries to them. There are. And it's interesting that really the mystery, the Bible calls the gospel a mystery. It's interesting. But see, it used to be a mystery, but when a mystery is told, it's no longer a mystery. And mystery literally can mean something hidden or a secret. And really, the Bible said that the princes of the world would not have crucified the Lord had they known. It was a secret uh, what God was going to do through Jesus, how it was going to be accomplished. If those demons would have known, they would not have influenced mankind to kill Christ because when he died, the answer came to humanity. Freedom was essentially paid for for man. They would have never done it. It was a mystery to them. It's, like I said, still a mystery. So if you're there to Col at Colossians, the first chapter, we're going to begin reading here in the 26th verse. And these words are often used when it talks about Jesus, what he bought, what he paid for, and what he did. The word mystery. Before the end comes... The Bible talks about the mystery of iniquity. Sin is a mystery to people. The devil working and influencing people, why people do crazy things, psychologists are trying to figure it out, they, they won't be able to because the Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity that's already at work. And as the end comes nearer, 
the mystery of iniquity, uh, the one who influences will inhabit a man called the Antichrist. And we see that this word mystery or secret or something hidden is used again and again. And so here in Colossians 1.26, we're going to begin reading. It says, the mystery which had been hidden. So whatever this mystery is, it was a secret. It had been hidden from ages and from generations. So what he's about to talk about, he said this mystery here has been hidden from generations. Meaning big groups of people that have lived upon the earth, this mystery has been hidden from them in the past. From, from generations, from ages, but now has been revealed to the saints. Isn't it interesting there was a mystery there was this hidden thing that was uh, hidden, called a mystery, and he said, but it's been revealed to the saints. That tells me something, that if the mystery has been revealed to the saints, then that means there are still a bunch of people, uh, it's a mystery too. Whatever this mystery is, we should know what it is, but on the other hand, what is no longer a secret to us or is being revealed to us is still a secret to the world. I remember laying in bed at night thinking, there's got to be more to life. That is such a, a, would seem to a Christian, that's a dumb statement. But when you don't know, it's a mystery. It's a secret. And the world is empty and devoid of, in heart. They don't know about this mystery. But it used to be a mystery to everybody. Notice, it was hidden, but it has been revealed to the saints. It has been revealed to the saints. You know, I used to have a boss who said, I'll tell you a secret. And he would say, you know what a secret is? He said, a secret is something you tell only two people at a time. You know what I mean? I've got a secret, but I'll tell you guys. Then I come over here, I've got a secret, but I'll tell you. No, a secret is something that you're not supposed to tell anybody. Isn't it true that there are people that we know in our lives that you don't tell secrets to them? Unless you really want that secret to get out. And you don't want it to be a secret anymore. You know, when, when sailors go on trips, you know, or whatever, they get deployed, they don't tell them where they're going. On purpose. Because you ever heard that old saying, loose lips sink ships? <laughs> where are you going? We're going to go fight over here. And then the word gets out before you get there. They're waiting for you. There are some things that have been meant to be a secret and be a mystery to people. Where did they go? That's a mystery. I don't know. But once it's revealed to the saints, this is the interesting thing. This mystery was revealed to the saints. It was never intended to remain a mystery to the world. 
It was never meant to be left a mystery to the world so that people at night in their beds would go, what is life about? You could be close to somebody and they're thinking, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Why, did we ex why do we exist? What is going on? What's happening in the world? I, I had invited this one guy a couple times to church, and he's kind of gone, yeah, yeah. Well, the other day I saw him, and uh, he has never really brought up the gospel to me. And he just said, you know all that stuff you've heard about when you were a kid and when you were young? Do you think that's starting to come to pass now? I said, well, what do you mean? Because I didn't know what he heard when he was a kid, you know? cooties i heard about that you think it's coming to pass i'm like no cooties have been around a long time it's just not happening now it's just no what about cooties and he said you know that bible stuff i said i actually do think that we're moving and we can see it and uh what's interesting is people who don't know don't realize the time clock it's a mystery it's just a mystery and what's interesting is one of the signs before the end comes that people will be partying and people will be drinking. And the way it reads in Luke is it talks about how they'll be blinded and not aware of his coming. Could you imagine getting closer and closer and his coming is a mystery to the world? They won't even know. And they, it, it even says things like if, if they would have known, like, a, you know, like if a robber was coming, they would have prepared if people would know, they could prepare. Are you with me? And so here it says this mystery has been revealed to his saints. That is a huge thing. Then that means the channel for which this secret or mystery gets opened up to the world is left solely on the saints. I mean, it is put upon the saints. I mean, it's awesome, and at the same time, that could be sobering. Notice this. To whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So he said it's a glorious thing. This secret is a glorious thing. And he wanted and he willed to make it known. That's why he revealed it to these people who wrote the scripture and here is what it is or at least a part of it which is christ in you you say that again christ in you do we preach that do we know that do we share that mystery that christ can come in you do we think like that? Christ is in me? Because when we talk about all the religions in the world and all the different things, they're trying to answer the mystery and they don't. But the mystery is profound. And the mystery that is revealed is that Christ will come and live in you. Okay, that should make existence totally different. Are you with me? Because you can see different people around you, and they all look like they're having a good time. Some maybe don't look like they're having a good time. Some look like me. Some look like others. They dress 
or they drive this car, live in this neighborhood. But there's a big, huge difference. Christ in you is the mystery, the secret that was revealed. Christ in you, the expectation of glory. You could say of all of God's goodness, everything God paid for, Christ in you, the expectation of all of God's glory. You could tell somebody, no matter who they are, whatever the situation they're in, there's an answer. It's Christ in you. There's a bunch of glory in that. There's a bunch of things paid for. Notice verse 28. Him we preach. <coughs> Him we preach. In other words, we're taking what was a secret, what was a mystery, and we're proclaiming it. And if you're not sure what it looks like to preach this, we preach Him. We preach the Christ that's in us, the one that we're familiar with, the one we know we proclaim to you. Notice again, Him we preach. Who do we preach? Do we preach a principle? Do we preach an idea? Do we preach, you know, what is it? It's Him that we proclaim. We're talking about something personal, we're talking about something living. We're talking about God in the flesh. Notice this. And here's the thing. Some people say, man, if I could only been alive when God was in the flesh. Um, do you know the mystery is that God is in the flesh? God is in your flesh. Christ in you. So when you walk around, he doesn't like when he was in the flesh, go home and, and make the crowds leave and then go to be with the disciples and sometimes make the disciples leave and go up on a mountaintop. Now Christ is in you. Christ is still in the flesh. He's just in your flesh. He's just in you. You're not the same. So he said, I don't always feel him. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You know, you can buy a paint can, and have you ever had like an aerosol paint can, and you go to spray something, but you know before you can make it work right, you need to shake it up. Have you ever shaken one and thought, there's not anything in this can? They put a marble or like a metal ball in there, and the reason they do that is when you shake it, that moves around in there because you can't take the lid off and put a straw in or a little spoon just for people like, why don't you do that? You can't. But they put that in there so you can shake it. It'll move around. And as it starts to get thinner and starts to get shaken up, all of a sudden or stirred up in there, all of a sudden you can start sensing what was in there the whole time. Yes. You ever been there? And the more you stir that thing up, the more you recognize what was in there. If it gets settled, you go to do it a little bit. Anybody done it? Shake it a little bit. Eh, there's nothing in there. There's, there's no ball bearing. There's no marble in there. But, you know, according to the Bible, Christ is in you. Amen. See, the Bible doesn't tell you to stir yourself up. 
Some people don't need to be stirred up. You know, crowds get stirred up. That's not good. I'm not stirring up myself. The Bible said in me is no good thing. You know what I mean outside of Christ, but when Christ comes in me, the Bible said stir up the gift of God that's in me. I need to be aware Christ is in me. Christ is in you. That's more than just an idea. It was something that was hidden, that was meant to be revealed, and it says him, verse 28, we preach, warning every man. Not most, all of them. And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or literally mature in Christ Jesus. Why do we preach the Bible? Why do we talk about Jesus? Why should people that are saved hear about him? So that they can be presented mature to the Lord. Then it goes on to say, to this end I also labor. To this end, we all should labor. We should all give energy to this. Laboring, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What is this mighty working that's inside of Paul, that's inside of us, that we should cooperate with? Well, somebody might say, well, once again... Uh, I know I gave my life to the Lord. I don't always feel him in me. And just like that bearing or marble in that can, you may not always feel him in you. But that does not mean he's not in you. Christ is in you. If you have given your life to the Lord and he works in us. We have giftings from him, and we have him in us. All we have to do is turn our attention toward him. You ever turned your attention to something that influenced uh, maybe a short time of your day after or a while? You ever turned on something that was scary, and you left it on and thought, I shouldn't be watching this, and then all of a sudden, you know, you go walking down the street, it's a little bit dark that night, and you're like going, just, I'm cool, I'm just going, and there's a bush, and you start speeding up to go past it. Nobody's ever done that? Oh, yeah, people have done that, you know. You watch Jaws, and you know people are just getting killed by sharks all the time at the beach. Just, there goes one, there goes another. No, but how many people are out there and doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, you know, whoa. And it, it happened to people at the lakes. There's no sharks in the lakes locally, and people are like, whoa, sharks. And stuff starts influencing their existence. Those things are not even true. This is true. Every Christian, everybody who's given their life to the Lord knows, uh, yeah, something happened to me. They may not be able to put their hand on it all together. Some of that still may be a mystery, but all those mysteries can be revealed. One of the most profound things about a Christian is Christ in you. Christ in you. You know, mysteries that are untold leave people in bondage. 
Mysteries that are revealed and preached set people free. You have the power to set people free. Somebody said, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Every Christian has the power to set people free. It's just a matter of, do I look to myself and go, do I have the power? Or is the power possessed in the message? And the power is in the message. No wonder he said, him we preach. Warning every man. Why? Because this mystery should not remain a mystery. <coughs> People's freedom in life, and it doesn't matter what, you can't name anything that there isn't freedom for, that was paid for. People say, well, yeah, what about depression? What about sickness? What about poverty? What about the afterlife? It's all revealed in him whom we preach, him who possesses or lives in you. Christ lives in you. You know, years ago I heard a sermon where a guy brought a bunch of uh, sinkers, you know, fishing weights to church and handed them out, their, you know, little tiny split shot, handed them out to everybody and, and said, uh, you know, did everybody get one of these sinkers? And he said, you know, because people had been saying, you know, I'm not led to do this. I'm not led to do that. I don't know if I'm led to do this. He said, how many got that sinker? He said, you've all felt lead because they're made out of lead. Some of you are going to get that about halfway home and start laughing. People are going to go, what's he doing? Because you felt lead. I've wanted to do it, get a bunch of rocks and have everybody put it in their shoe. Because, you know, you walk around with a rock in your shoe, you sense something. It alters your life. Doesn't it? Some of us are more talented with our feet than we realize. We're like, nuh-uh. But haven't you had a rock in there and you just keep walking and you manipulate it and move it to a different place? You ever done that? And now it's like in the arch and you're not bothered and you can just keep going or somehow you get it in between your toes. <laughs> Right? And you just keep walking and you're like, I'm fine. Like, Did you get the rock out? Nope. You just moved it somewhere. But you know what? We don't need to move Christ, ignore him, push him aside. He lives in us. We should allow him to have free course in our life. One of the areas he wants us to have free course is in our sharing of our faith. Turn over here to Galatians 3. Galatians, the third chapter a very interesting scripture and, and often confused. But if Christ is in us, and he is, him we preach, him we share. You know, one thing about preaching Christ, Christ will stand up when you stand and you share him. And there is something about proclaiming this truth to other people that will cause him who's in you to rise up. Even Stephen, when he was preaching in the Bible, and he was about to be stoned to death, and he was preaching and sharing Christ and proving from the Scripture this mystery and revealing it to people, it said all of a sudden heaven opened to him and we all know from all the scriptures he's seated at the right hand of God. But he said he looked up and he saw him standing. 
And I'm telling you, when you start to share Christ, you will recognize him standing up, rising up in you too. You'll realize I'm not alone because he doesn't want you to make this word valid. He doesn't want you to make this word valid. He wants to make the word valid. He wants to convict people. He wants to convince people. He wants his power to work with you. He wants to heal people through you. He wants to deliver people through you. We don't wait for this. We give the message. The message is full of power. But notice this here in Galatians 3.27. It says, For as many as were baptized into Christ. Notice what he's doing again here. He's preaching him. He's preaching the living Savior. He said, notice, he said, him we preach, what is he doing? There he preached Christ in the believer. Now he's preaching Christ, but he's preaching the believer in Christ. Notice this. For as many as you were baptized into Christ. This is not baptized in water. You could say it like this. When you get baptized in water, you get put into water. When you get baptized into Christ, you get put into Christ. And Christ comes in you. This is when a person gets saved. You get put into Christ. That is a reality. He said this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But you are all one in Christ. Now you understand he's identifying you as a spiritual being and the spiritual part of the believer has been put into Christ. That is profound because when you were put in Christ, Christ was put in you. Notice this next part. For he said, for you are all one in Christ. I remember years ago when we were down in Honduras, I put this scripture in some notes for people to preach when we would preach certain truths in to the Christians or the people who had given their life to the Lord in years gone past. And, and I put it in there thinking people are going to see this reality of you are one in Christ. And people didn't get it. Not the ones preaching or the ones being preached to. I had to go, wait a minute, I need to explain. You are one in Christ, and there are other scriptures. It literally, when you are one, and one in Christ, and one with Christ, that means you're not two. Remember, one place that says you have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless... You still live, but not you, but him. That means, when it says one, it means to the exclusion of the other. The very life you have in you excludes your old life. Mm 
You're one with him. Meaning the one that's in you is your very life, your very existence. When we look at this, we look at people who are one with him. That's why it's so profound in the Bible when he tells Christians, don't go join yourself to a non-Christian and date them and ultimately marry them or have sex with them. Now, if you're married to a non-believer, there's no condemnation, but he makes this statement for those who are not. He said, because you become one flesh with them. And what he said, would I take Christ, calling the church or the Christian Christ or the body of Christ and join it, this pretty rough, to a whore or a prostitute? Well, somebody would say no. He said, you are the body of Christ. And he called them Christ. Why would he say that? Why does the Bible identify so strongly with your oneness in the Lord? Remember the Apostle Paul, before he was, he was a mean guy. He would persecute the church. He would throw them in prison. He would consent to their death. And the Lord one time appeared to him, and he had a dramatic experience, and he gave his life to the Lord. But what's so interesting is what the Lord said to him. He, he said, Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord looks at the church and believers like they're him. Like they're so much in union, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church down there? on Main Street. No. He said, why are you persecuting me? See, the Lord looks at you like you and him are one, not two. That's why on the judgment you're going to be there and you're going to look clean and innocent. Because why? What he paid for is yours. And so you think about it. When he said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Well, he knew who he had been persecuting, but he said, who are you? I mean, if somebody said, why are you being mean to that person? You'd know who you were being mean to unless you were just ignorant of your meanness. See, he wasn't ignorant of his meanness. He was just ignorant to the fact that who he was persecuting was actually the Lord. So he said, no, it was the people. No, we're one with him to the exclusion of our own self. He looks at us like Christ is in them and in you if you've given your life to the Lord and you are in him. And so he said, Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, his possession, his body, you have to identify yourself once you've given your life to the Lord that I'm one with him. I'm not the head, I'm the <coughs> part of the body. Are you with me? And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed.
Let me explain that. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed or his descendant. Why is this important? This mystery that was hidden, God had this huge plan. How can I get the Jews and the Gentiles who have all missed the mark to be able to be heirs of everything I promised to this man, Abraham, give them new life, cause them to be, have blessings financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and then for eternity. How can I do this? Because I only promised it to Abraham and his descendants. Those are the only ones who get it. But remember, Jesus was one of his descendants. So what God did was put you into Jesus. So if you ever have this mentality, oh, you know those Jews, they're all blessed because they're Abraham's descendant. You need to think, man, I'm in Jesus. And Jesus was the descendant. And now I'm in him. So, because notice what he said. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed or a descendant. Why does it all belong to you? Him we preach. What do we tell the world? Everything you need is in Jesus. Everything you need is in him. Everything that will save you, work on your life, affect your life is in him. But then it would lead you to think that if I'm in Christ and I'm a descendant of Abraham, they all have rights with God. They have rights across the board. How did we get these rights? You were put into Christ. Christ was put into you. You walk around, and if you could look at yourself beyond what you could see physically, you would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. You would see your life in Christ. But, you know, you can't see it naturally. You have to look in a special mirror. And if anybody's ever been to Disneyland, you know, when I was a kid, we went there and we'd go on the Haunted Mansion ride. And, uh, you know, sometimes we had three people, so we always wanted to... Uh, go together and not have one person because it's just funner when you're young to be all together. And But they want three people and then they have you sit apart and this thing goes in front of these mirrors and in this mirror all of a sudden you see this ghost in the seat between you. You can look and you can't see it next to you. But now if there's three of you, it looks like you're in it and it's in you. But if you look at yourself, you can't see it. Only if you look at the mirror can you tell. And you know, the Bible is called a mirror. And it shows you who you really are. See, I have seen you guys. You have never seen you. You have never seen yourself. Unless... You have died or had an out-of-body experience. You have never seen yourself. None of you have. I have. You haven't. I have seen you. You have not seen you. 
Now, you can turn and look at somebody next to them and say, I've seen you, but you've never seen you. You've only ever seen an image or a reflection, but you have never seen you. And we all know this to be true because when somebody shows us a picture, I'm like, you're like, ah, oh, why'd you take it at that angle? Because that's not the angle you always see, but that is an angle we saw. We see it often. Like, ah, oh, that hurts. Right? And we see angles that other people don't see. We see from the side, we see from the back, we see all of it. You know, I mean, I could turn like this, my hair could be sticking up, and everybody's like laughing, I'm thinking, man, I'm so funny right now. This is awesome. And it's because my hair's all sticking up, and it keeps going around. Well, you see an angle I don't see, but I've never seen myself. The only way you can truly see yourself, or the best way to see yourself it is a mirror. When I get my hair cut, the, the lady uh, gives me a mirror and spins me around so I can look at the back of my hair. I said, I trust you. I mean, what can you do? She's got scissors. I trust you or I wouldn't come back. Well, I want you to look anyway. She wants to make sure. You know, so if it's crooked this week, she's teaching me a lesson. You know, the back of my hair. But why does she do that? She wants you to see something about yourself. The Bible tells us when we look in the book, we see who we really are. See, because the natural mirror only shows you surface things. The Bible shows you things beyond the surface. But do you know not only does it show you who you are beyond the surface, it shows you how other people are beyond the surface too. It shows you how other people are beyond the surface. And so when he said, if you, verse 29, and if you are, in, are Christ's, which means you're saved, he said, you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. Everything that was promised to Abraham belongs to you. This is the mystery we are supposed to be sharing with people. This is the mystery you need to know for yourself. What was a mystery is not to be a secret. Wouldn't it be a shame if parts of the body of Christ or people didn't know uh, said, uh, healing is not for you today? Then what would happen is what God intended to not be a secret and not be a mystery starts becoming a mystery. It's closed off. Or God doesn't want you sound of mind. It becomes a mystery. It becomes a secret to people. God doesn't want you full of power. You don't need power today. We just need to get out of here. Come, Lord Jesus, come. No. Actually, that scripture in Luke 21, where it says that when the Lord, you know, when you see all these things come to pass, it says, it literally reads, throw your shoulders back and lift your head up. It doesn't mean look up at the Lord, though we know we should get our focus there. It's literally the term like when uh, God told Joshua, or Moses told Joshua, but by God's direction, be of a good courage. It literally means when you see these things come to pass, get your chin up. and Be brave. 
be strong. Why? Because you're in Christ. You can handle this. You can do it when you know who you are and what you have. These things should not be a secret. Notice this. Let's go through a couple of verses real quick. Colossians, the fourth chapter. If we're in Christ and Christ is in us, that's a reality. If I've got a well but don't know how to use the bucket and the rope, uh, it, it makes a big difference. I can somehow get it out. Are you with me? Out of a well. I can get water out of a well if I know that there's water in there. But if I don't even know there's water in there, I'm going to be trying to try to get something. But once we know Christ is in us and we're in Christ, it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. This is why the Lord looks at the church so personal. And when I say the church, I don't mean a church building, the people that have the Lord in them. Notice this. And when the Lord comes back, he's coming back for his body. Is your body different than your head? Yes, but it's all one. I said it's all one. Colossians, the third, fourth chapter. Let's read this once I get there. The fourth chapter, and we'll begin reading in the third and fourth verse. It says this, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word. So he calls the Bible, or the truth, the word. To speak, and notice what's in the book or in the word, he said, the, speak the mystery of Christ. He said, I need to reveal the secret. He said, pray for us. Pray for all of us that God would open a door, that we could share what's in the word and what is in there, the mystery, the mystery of Christ, the one who's no longer a secret to us, for which he said, I am also in chains or bound to this. He said, not only should we pray that we can make this mystery known, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other side and have anybody say, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me that? I didn't know. And our knowing is based on truth and then experience. Notice this verse 4 that I may make it manifest. Pray that I may make it manifest. What does he want to make manifest? These truths in the word, and what was the truth? The mystery of Christ. In other words, to clearly portray what was a secret, what was a mystery, and it's not just your sins are forgiven. It's you get eternal life. It's your made new. It's your be, you becoming one in Christ. It's God will begin to possess you from the inside out. It, it's that you have been given an inheritance. Everything Christ died and paid for is yours. It is for you. That is what he said I preach. Not a part of it. He said that I may make it manifest or clear as I ought to speak. 
And then he goes on to say some other things. Notice this in the second chapter of the same book. And the second verse. Colossians 2.2. 2. Notice this. That their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. So he's talking about believers walking in love. Knowing God's love. And their hearts being knit together. Joined together. Well, if we're one with the Lord, we're one with one another. We're one body, knit together in love. But notice what he was praying here, and that people would attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and Christ. Notice he said he wants people to be full of this knowledge of what was once a mystery he wants us to know. What if the mystery is not told? It still remains a secret. We need to know it for our own benefit, but others need to know it too. Notice this 1 Corinthians, I believe, will close right here. 1 Corinthians 4. Ephesians 6 talks about praying for us that we would make the mystery known. But notice this in 1 Corinthians 4, the mystery, the mystery. What is a mystery is no longer a mystery when you know about it. What Jesus paid for, what he bought in its totality should not be a mystery to us. Christ in you, you in Christ, and everything Christ paid for belongs to you now. Not when you get to heaven. And we are to tell people this. Well, that sounds like good news. 1 Corinthians 4. And notice this in the first verse. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Notice this. He said, we should consider this. Us. As servants of Christ. Notice what he's doing. He's preaching Christ, but he's telling the believers, you guys, meaning you and me, are all servants of Christ when we've given our life to the Lord. You're a servant of him. He lives in you. You live in him. But notice this. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards are uh, stewards of what? Of the secrets that God has revealed. Notice the very next verse. Moreover, it is required. You ever go for a job or go to buy something and you're like, what is required? This is a cool looking swing set. What is required of me? That's why you can pay companies to come set your swing up. Because when people recognize what's required, they're like, no. But notice this. If we're servants and stewards of the mysteries of God, what is a steward? One who's responsible for it. But notice, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. 
that they be found faithful. What is it that we're to be faithful with? What are we to steward or to be good stewards? You know what a good steward is, right? Meaning if you have money, you manage it well. You're not just like when you see everybody, I'll buy the bubble gum here, and you waste all your money, you're being a bad steward. But when he's talking here, he's talking about stewards of these secrets that have been revealed. And he said it is required. This is a requirement that God has on our lives. That we would be found faithful with these mysteries. That we would be faithful with understanding them for ourselves. And also, when we share with others, we share all these mysteries with them. Somebody said, I don't have that much time. You understand what I mean, not you break everything down. But you tell people, God's got an answer for everything. It's in the person of Jesus. Jesus can come live in you, and you can live in Jesus. What a profound statement.